Last week, we talked about outside-of-the-box fundraising ideas. This week, we dive into why trust changes everything. After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes? A job change and a couple pivots in the for-profit leadership later? We're on the search to get that question answered. If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you. We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm so excited because we have two people joining us from the same organization, Rejection Collection Boxer Rescue. This is a phenomenal organization that works on rescuing senior and special needs dogs, specifically boxer and boxer mixes. Um, they have a mix of fostering that also includes cancer and hospice care. The work that they're doing on dogs that are often passed over for adoption um, is just incredibly special, and these are two incredibly special women. So first off, we have Stacy Burton joining us. She is a co-founder and the president of the organization. And Lucy Blake Larson is also joining us, who is also the co-founder, and she is the vice president. So first of all, thank you both for being here um, and joining us today. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. We are so excited for this conversation. To get us started, um, I don't know who wants to jump in first, but would you give us a little bit of background um, about Rejection Collection Boxer Rescue and kind of how you got started? Sure. Um, Lucy and myself both have quite a bit of experience in dog rescue, specifically with boxers. Um, we've both been with a few other organizations. Uh, and about starting about five years ago, we really kind of noticed that some of the other rescues tend to not focus on the senior special needs dogs, um, just because they're not as highly adoptable, they cost more, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so Lucy and I really saw that a rescue that was focused on those kinds of dogs was really needed. So we decided to do something about it and start our own rescue. That's fantastic. Um, when you were coming from another organization, was it something that you, like, was it a quick thing or was it just seeing it over the process of a few years that there was a need? For me, it was just seeing it over time. Um, it was just kind of a trend that most rescues tend to get the younger dogs, the ones that are more highly adoptable. And I just after fostering, my family's fostered probably a hundred dogs. Um, I really found that my heart dogs, the ones that I really um, thought were special, extra special to me, were those ones that were the seniors or the high medical needs. Um, those were the ones that I really liked fostering myself. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so neat. And I know, Lucy, you have some experience when we were talking before we started. Um, about one of the special needs dogs and how special needs can mean so many different things. Could you talk about that for a little bit? I would love to. Um, we focus on the seniors and the special needs like Stacy said, but a special needs can also be a one-year-old dog that is deaf and other rescues are just having a hard time placing a deaf dog. They do require extra vigilance in uh, getting them trained and, and you know acting proper in the house. We have taken in a couple puppies. Um, 
they became special needs when they got on the euthanasia list with their mom because Mm. the shelter was too overcrowded. So that becomes a special need. So again, mostly we like to focus on the seniors, but we do take in other dogs that need our help. And a lot of times, especially in the state of Texas, there is a code red list. And when those dogs reach code red, they're going to be euthanized soon. So that in itself is a special need. There might not be anything wrong with that dog medically, or it may not be senior, but once they're going to be euthanized, then they need our help. Sure. And so I know, uh, Stacy, you're based here in Minnesota, but Lucy, are you down in Texas then? Nope. I'm in Minnesota as well. Okay. So, but you operate nationwide. So you got your eyes on Texas as well. Correct. Our rescue pulls, um, takes in owner surrenders. We foster and adopt all across the United States. Wow. Wow. So there's a lot of infrastructure, I'm sure, that's needed and connections with different uh, fostering agencies and lots of different people. How did those networks begin to grow over time? I'm guessing from some of the experience you had with different organizations in the past, you had some of those connections. But um, tell us a little bit about how the network grew honestly so i'm a little bit younger i'm not that young (laughs) i'm not gonna age myself (laughs) but i don't know how rescues did it before social media um Mm. that is how we find most of our volunteers we network on facebook um and you find so many groups especially specialized groups of dog lovers boxer lovers rescue people transporters people that want to foster and and help out so honestly facebook social media is where it's at and i don't know what they did before social media (laughs) they probably just you know had to deal with kind of what what they had which was very limited to who they knew in their own cities and and stuff so Mm -hmm. Well, let's let's jump in on that, because I think that's a really, really interesting thing for our listeners. How do you guys leverage social media to, like you said, to find volunteers? That's really interesting. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, So we have a Facebook page and we just I'm very open on that Facebook page when we have a a certain need come up arise i i let people know you know i say hey this is a situation that's going on and we need volunteers like who do we know down in texas that can help us out or we have a special case down in kentucky um that needs certain medical issues needs need helped um and then people just come out of the woodwork and they they're there they're just always there are they always you'll always hear that um Rescue takes a village, and honestly, the Rejection Collection Boxer Rescue Village is amazing. They never cease to amaze me. Um, there's just volunteers all over that want to help. That, yeah. I would like to add, too, that once you become a part of one group, it just snowballs from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a lot of Facebook groups that Stacy and I belong to, as well as some of our other volunteers that are set up for, you know, they're, they're general, uh, boxers in need, uh, boxers needing home, boxer adoptables. And we watch those sites as well. And once we start commenting on those sites, people just take it and run. 
And, and, you know, it may be somebody in Kentucky that saw us, but they know somebody in Massachusetts. So they contact them and say, hey, you need to be involved with this group. I think that they can help you. And as far as the Texas group, there are great animal advocacy groups down there that go into the shelters and look for the dogs and advertise them on Facebook and tag us in all the posts. So once that starts, I mean, 20, 30, 40, 50 other people start tagging you. Uh, Stacy can attest to that. I think her phone <laughs> dings constantly all I know, I just had to silence all of my devices here. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have made friends with, uh, it, you know, contacting and becoming friends with transport groups. Mm-hmm. So we have a woman down in Texas who runs a transport up to Minnesota every two weeks. And wow. we get a hold of her. We work together to find um, a temp foster home down there or a boarding facility that works with rescues at a great discount price. And we uh, we stay in touch with her constantly and she'll notify us of a dog that she heard about that we could check into. That is phenomenal because you aren't just on Facebook trying to get information out there. Sometimes we see it as almost like a spam, but it's very clear that your organization has built up a community of people who trust what you are doing, that when you say there is a need, people aren't rolling their eyes going, oh, yeah, there's probably another need. There's another place to donate. (laughs) But they're saying like they are asking for a need. This is a call to action. And you have people who trust you two so much that when they see that, that they jump, which I think is incredibly special. Like we've seen a lot of different interactions with different nonprofits. And for you to say we see we post a need and people come out of the woodwork is something so unique. And I think that really goes to show how much trust you have built up with the community and with the partners that you've built up. Um, Another thing I wanted to mention is I love that you're using Facebook as a tool. I think some people write off social media. I either like it or I don't like it. Um, But really as a nonprofit, utilizing it for what it is, and that's a tool to use to connect with people, just like we used to use more phone calls or in-person meetings or what like way back in the day, people were writing letters. Like now we have a way that we can connect with a whole mass of people incredibly quickly, but it takes building the trust for that tool to really be effective. Yeah. Can you guys talk a little bit about just sort of how over time you built that trust? Because that that's something we talk about all the time when we're working with clients is building that trust with the people you're trying to help, building that trust with the organizations you're partnering with is absolutely essential. So maybe uh, let's talk about that a little bit. For me, it just goes down to your morals as a person. Um, I always tell my kids, I don't lie. I, I wouldn't know how to lie to save my life. That's just who <laughs> I am as a person. <laughs> um, I am just very open and honest. Um, I don't sugarcoat things. I just, I'm, I'm me. I'm a person. I don't, what you see is what you get. Um, and, and you just, you're a real person dealing with real people and that's just what I do. And for me, for me, um, it comes down to really following through with the people that you're working with and the other organizations you're working with. Um, you know, we're not, we're not late for our pickups and our transports. Um, we give updates on the dogs that we have helped. 
so that the people that started at the very original spot for a dog knows that it's, they're in a great home and that we've taken care of him. Um, sometimes we have to post things that aren't real great, like, you know, we got a dog up here and it appears that he's only got a week to live. And we want people to understand that these things happen, but we're still needed. And a lot of people, you know, it's a fine line. A lot of people either respect you for that, for sticking up for the dog and not letting it suffer and not going through the um, unnecessary pain just to keep it alive. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have a great number of followers for that, um, you know, ethical thing that we do. Um, and it's just, it's just building it up slowly. I mean, I've, I've been talking to some people for 20 years. Um, all of a sudden, I won't hear anything for years at a time, and then they come back. It's kind of like, hey, I think you would really be interested in this dog. We've had adopters that come back after five, six, seven, eight years, and they contact Stacy and I, even though we're with a different rescue, because they remember us as the contact person where they first started. Hmm. So that says a lot about how we care for people and care for the animals. And we spend a lot of time making the correct fit. Just because you want a dog doesn't mean that you're going to get that dog unless it's a great fit. And when people realize that you care so much about their needs and what's going to happen in their household, they'll follow you anywhere. That is so good. That is so good. Because having consistency in your ethics, people know what they're going to get. They know that when they donate to your organization, that that money is going to go to where you say it's going to go. They're not wondering like, oh, are they just like, you know, buying a Ferrari or something with that. <laughs> but at the same time, also, they know that what you say is going to happen is going to happen, even if it's not great news, right? They just they know they're going to get an honest window into what's happening in the organization and that is a huge trust builder because when organizations try to kind of play things a little too close or a little uh, behind a wall too much, um, that might work maybe in the in the for-profit world, but in the nonprofit world, you're trying to involve people in the organization. You're not trying to keep them out. And so when they actually get a window into the organization, they can trust you more and they can partner with you more easily and they can justify the amount of time it's gonna take, the amount of money it's gonna take, the amount of effort it's gonna take, and the sacrifices that they're going to make to help the organization move forward because they feel like they're a part of it, not just like, you know, buying some shoes at a store. Like they're actually a part of the organization. Mm -hmm. I also love when, um, Lucy, you said, when you care more about what their needs are, people will follow you anywhere. Um, I yes. think a lot of times we, as nonprofit leaders, it can be easy to think, if we place the dog in the home with the family who just really wants that dog because they think it's cute, then they're going to follow us anywhere. But that's not what's really going to build that trust. It's going to be when you care enough about the dog and you care enough about the family to say, this is not going to be a good fit. And sometimes care and kindness is not what always is, quote unquote, nice. Like, 
the nice and easy thing to do might just be to let them donate the dog. But the caring thing to do and the kind thing to do is to say, no, this isn't a great fit, but let's help you find a better fit. And Mm -hmm. once people see that that's your heart for them and you're not just trying to use the space in their home or use that they have time or whatever it is, you're right. They absolutely will follow you anywhere. And that's pretty evident that you still have people contacting you, even though the name of the organization that you're tied to has changed. Um, And they're probably following you even more now that you're the presidents and vice presidents of this organization. So the uh, the cool thing, too, is we see this this pattern in all sorts of volunteer based nonprofits where a volunteer will come up and they'll say, hey, I want to do this. And it's so important as the leader uh, of that organization or the leader of that team to to help them find a good fit. Um, We see this sometimes in like churches where like a musician or quote unquote musician wants to be a part of the band, right? And they're not good. So then how do you how do you help them find a good fit so they can know that they're contributing, but you also have to deal with the fact that you're gonna hurt their feelings a little bit and saying, like, no, this isn't gonna work like this. We're gonna have to help you find what works best. Mm-hmm. Or if somebody wants to volunteer, um, you know, canvassing for an organization, but they have no interpersonal skills and they just make everybody mad they run into. It's probably not a good idea to let that person (laughs) canvas, even though they they want to. Right. So helping them figure that out is a lot of asking questions and navigating. So how do you guys do that? Let's say, you know, let's say Lisa and I wanted to foster a dog and it wasn't a good fit. How would you guys approach that uh, without crushing our dreams, but at the same time, <laughs> making sure that uh, it's best for the, the dog and also for our family. Um, for me, I'm just kind of blunt and I say, no. <laughs> Good, that's awesome. <laughs> I say, we need to do what's in the best interest of the dog. And unfortunately, your home is not the right fit. However, there are so many other dogs that need homes that would be perfect for you. Let's find one of those. I love that. I love (laughs) blunt with care. Like that's my absolute favorite conversation style um, versus someone beating around the bush. I'm like, what? What's wrong? Like, just tell me what's wrong. (laughs) And as far as the volunteering aspect of it goes and not being a right fit, we have so many tasks that need to be done. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to be like, for instance, the head of fundraising, but you're a very quiet introvert person. (laughs) We can see that that's not going to work, that it takes more (laughs) than that. But that doesn't mean that you can't be on a committee that works with the fundraiser we have and take it step-by-step slow. We mentor our volunteers when they want to be on a committee or hold the position. We have two people right now that Stacy and I, we include on every email, every discussion. They would like to eventually become the adoption coordinator and the foster coordinator. So what they're doing is following Stacy and I and exactly what we say to people and what we check for and how we arrange things so that they can do that in the future. That's so, so important. Not only are you... Uh, working to help train and mentor people and, and bring on like apprentices, basically. But you're thinking thinking in the future. You want this organization to continue when mm-hmm. you're not able to do it anymore, right? So you have to bring up people to keep the mission going forward. I, I love that you have apprenticeship built in because that is, 
you know, as, as a nonprofit, it can be one of the most powerful tools to say, hey, you want to volunteer? Come alongside me. Let's do this together. Right. Because people want that connection. They want to belong to something. And when you can bring them into the fold and not just throw them into the deep end of the pool, it's great because it breaks down those barriers of like, I am a little worried. I don't know exactly how to do this. And that's okay. Like, we're going mm-hmm. to teach you. We're going to mentor you. And at the same time, you're able to then offload some of the stuff that's on your plate to help you think bigger and maybe kind of move things forward a little bit more. Yeah. So speaking of looking ahead to the next couple of years, what are some of the things that, what are some of your goals or what are some of the things that you're trying to get started or maybe just grow um, coming up? Lucy, that Stacy, or you want to? I was just going to say the same thing. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, I'll start. <laughs> I'll start. Um, all right. So we recognize that rescue the end part of it, finding a dog a home, is not the most important part, really. We have to educate people up front. Mm. You have to know that spay and neuter is so important. You have to know that health care of your dog is so important so that you aren't faced down the road with saying, hey, I can't afford to keep this dog anymore because of the medical things. Probably some of it could have been prevented up front. So we are starting uh, kind of a campaign to educate people more. We would like to uh, join other groups that hold the spay and neuter clinics um, for all the dogs out there and uh, use our finances to help with that and our connections to, you know, we have connections to trainers and we like to get people involved right away if they have a problem with their dog to get them start training right away so that upfront education part is really important and we're going to focus on that more and then the other thing that we have going that we started this year that we feel will keep going and expand is a program called piper's promise and piper's promise is uh, based on a dog that we were contacted about piper was very sick and her family could not afford to keep her anymore, but it's the only family she had ever known. And she needed love and care and support. And so Piper's promise is to say, if we have the funds available, we will grant a sponsorship and we will cover all the costs and cover what is needed, but the dog can stay with you. Some rescues will insist that the dog is surrendered to them, that you have to surrender it. And we would like to see a dog stay at home if everything else is above board and the dog's been well cared for, um, we would like to see them stay at home. This isn't something that we outwardly promote because we would have tens of thousands (laughs) of requests. Mm -hmm. But when somebody contacts us to surrender their dog because it has uh, you know, medical issues that they can't afford, then we go ahead and offer this program. So we have had seven dogs on this. Uh, a couple of them have died. You know, that was the outcome, but you know, why should that dog have to go to a new home and be with strange people to get the, the last care? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have some that are on ongoing programs. We have one family that could not afford the medication that their dog needed to keep it healthy. And so we pay for that prescription every month. 
Um, so that is another thing that we want to do. We, we rescuing is not just about getting a dog adopted. Hmm. It's about giving that dog the best life. And if that best life is with their current family, then that's what we want to do. That's fantastic. That goes back to the consistency of the ethics, right? Because sometimes it doesn't make sense to, to, you know, start fostering an adoption process. Sometimes it makes the most sense if you actually care about the dog <laughs> and the family to mm-hmm. find a way to make it still work. And that is something I think that gets lost with a lot of nonprofits is they see, uh, they see the issue and they say, we have a one size fits all solution that is going to always work. And sometimes it's just really inefficient and doesn't work very well. And to see you guys thinking through how do we how do we educate and prevent the need for our organization? Because like, wouldn't that be great if you guys weren't even needed because dogs were so well cared for all the time? Right. But at the same time, it's needed right now. But then seeing how can we improve the whole Mm -hmm. landscape of this need is is something that is so awesome. <laughs> it's so, so good. Yeah. Um, Stacey, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Or are you like, yep, Lucy's right, 100%. <laughs> or anything additional? Lucy's you're right. I know. She, Lucy's <laughs> good with her words, and yeah. she's great at um, explaining the Piper's Promise. So that's why I passed it off to her for uh, her that's to explain awesome. that program. Yeah, Stacy, could you talk about Mina? Oh, so we have a dog right now named Mina. Her owner wanted to surrender the dog um, because he was he's military and he was being deployed. Um, I know personally, military is clo- um, near and dear to my heart. My husband's a vet, um, a vet of a, a Marine vet. Um, anyway, so instead of us taking the dog, getting the dog adopted out, we knew that the only reason this man was going to be surrendering him was because he was being deployed to defend our country. Mm -hmm. So what we did is our rescue is fostering, keeping the dog, paying all the bills for, it's been about a year and a half now that we've had him because his tour got extended. So um, the dog is ready and waiting for him when he comes back. So it's like a really, really cool long-term puppy daycare (laughs) but (laughs) but like way more important right like so 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 valuable that's really really cool it tied up a foster home for us for a year and a half now and hopefully i i think october is the date that they're thinking of uh, coming coming back back now yeah but and it tied up one of our fosters and so that was a hit to us but it's much more important to that soldier to come home to his dog but again it's what's in the best interest of the dog Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's phenomenal. I love that you started with you had fostering and adoption. And as your organization has grown and as you've had these systems in place, the people in place, the networks in place, that now you're expanding and beginning to think, okay, how can we prevent some of this? How can we include other special needs like someone being deployed? That is a special need. Um, you wouldn't necessarily consider it a special need dog, you know, like traditionally, but you're totally right that it is a special need and that your organization has a way to help them. Um, but I also love that you are adding this on as you are growing 
versus trying to start doing everything all at one time. Like it's a very <laughs> intentional, all right, so we have this piece working. What can we add on to make the organization well, more Well, I mean, we're not crazy. We know we can't do everything <laughs> at once. Um, so we wanted to start up and build a good foundation, get good foster base, get good volunteers, get good transport network. You know, we want to start with a great foundation and build up from there. So we wanted, Piper's Promise has been a goal of ours since day one. We just mm-hmm. never told it. Lucy and I didn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> we um, we wanted to build up a good, strong foundation and base to the rescue first. And then last year, we thought, honestly, we thought maybe in five, 10 years, we'll be financially ready where we can have this scholarship program. And um, the middle of last year, we were at a financial point where we could do the program. So that's why, and it was amazing. After about a year and a half, we had built that up so we could do that Piper's Promise program that we had always envisioned. Um, So that was pretty dang exciting for us. One of the things that we talk about with other nonprofits really often is how important it is to just keep the core burning really hot. And that's, you know, the core of what you started with and the people Mm -hmm. that you were gathering around that first initial, you know, embers of what you were doing, you know, and and keeping that core really hot is what empowers and enables the organization to grow where it can be really tempting for nonprofits, for all our listeners to see all the problems, because there are a lot of problems in the world that we want to make better, but to really narrow down and focus on like, what am I specifically gifted to be able to change? And how can I drill down into that and keep that core burning hot? That's going to allow me to expand over time. And you guys did a great job with that because you had a goal of like, maybe in the first 10 years, we could start doing this. And it happened so fast because you were so focused on that core principle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Well, we are going to start wrapping up and we have one final question that we like to ask all of our listeners. So Stacy, we're going to go to you first. Oh, she oh, just gosh. made a face like, oh no, it's the big question. <laughs> um, well, we're going to you first. So uh, the one question that we like to ask all of our guests is what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you? Building a legacy. Oh, gosh. Are you sure you don't want Lucy to answer this one first? If Lucy wants to jump in, she's welcome to, but I think she yeah, might point sure. back to you. Oh, go ahead. Yes, Stacey, I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, the legacy to me is that the senior dogs and the medical need dogs have a place to go a place that they can depend on, a group that they can depend on, uh, that we will be here for them and we will be speaking for them. I am older uh, in age than Stacy, And to me, the idea, I, I want comfort and peace in my final years. And I want to make sure that a dog gets the same thing. And every time I can place a senior dog, a medical needs dog, it makes all of the ones we had issues with and troubles with and had to to go to special training and spend a lot of money. And it makes it all worthwhile 
because this dog is getting the help it needs and we are here for them when some other places can't be. And that's my legacy. I want the dog to be loved and provided for just as I hope somebody will love and provide for me when I can't walk around anymore or when I'm having trouble with cancer. Uh, That's what it's all about. I love what you said there, that for everyone that works, it makes all of the other investments and ones that didn't work worth it. Um, Oh, absolutely. It is what keeps you going in a rescue because you will have a month where you lose so many dogs or Mm. you were not able to help a dog in a shelter and you feel horrible. Stacy and I take that to bed with us every night and think of that dog that we couldn't help because we didn't have the funds or we didn't have the transport available to bring it across country. So when you do have a success, you quickly put that aside and you take joy in the ones you were able to help. Absolutely. That's so good because, you, you know, you guys as the leadership of the organization need need to have the fire burning in you, too. You know, you can't you can't let the hard parts get you down so much that you can't continue to move forward. And so to really allow that to like celebrate, celebrate those wins and, and celebrate that with the organization too, all the people who are helping. And it's, it's a really, really big deal. It can be tempting to, OK, now on to the next one, you know, but then just taking a moment and saying this is the fuel that we need to keep going so it's important that we fill our tanks with this win that's Mm -hmm. so good exactly all right stacy same question what does the idea of building a legacy mean to you Hmm. now i get to go after lucy um (laughs) building a legacy um so for, for our organization i know that we're here now because we're needed now And part of that education piece is I really hope that we're not needed in the future. I really hope that organizations aren't needed like this because things change. So right now we're kind of putting a Band-Aid on it, but we're trying to fix it for the future so that it's not needed. Um, And really to me, a legacy is when somebody looks back and and thinks about us, it, it just makes them smile. Or like when I'm dead, like I hope somebody thinks, well, she's pretty awesome. And it brings a smile to their face. That's good. I, I love that. Like the, the idea that we're not going to be, hopefully we're not going to be needed, you know, in the future. Yeah. That's to solve the problem would be just an incredible legacy to leave. But then I love that you drilled down to at the, at the end of our lives, like we just, we just want, when people think about us, we don't want them to frown. <laughs> we want them to yep. smile. We want them to think like, yep. wow, they did so much. They inspired so many more people to do so much. Right. That's Those are both fantastic, fantastic answers. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Before we wrap up, I want to make sure our listeners know where they can find you and Rejection Collection Boxer Rescue. Um, so where should they be looking? We are on Facebook. We have a website, and I know you guys are putting links to all of this later, so I don't need to spell all those out. Mm -hmm. We are also, um, if you check out our website and our Facebook, we have our upcoming events, and we actually have quite a few in-person events coming in the metro area in Minnesota. So check a few of those out. Um, Lately, we've been going to some breweries and doing some, some events, some fun things like that. Fun. That is awesome. And yes, we will can um, we will uh, 
add all of the links and all those um, events too. We'll include a couple of those in the show notes as well. So if that's something that you definitely are interested in, this is a great organization to get to know. So Lucy and Stacy, thank you again so much for being on our podcast. We are so thankful for your time. And this has just been a great conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to LegacyBuildersInternational.com. That's LegacyBuildersInternational.com.